This is episode number 175 of the Rising Man podcast with James Amutabi, Amani Hill, and Phil Gomez. Breaking down a building without a plan for how to build a new one is chaos. Welcome back, Rising Man fam. Thank you for joining me today. Jetty Azuma here checking in behind the mic. Before I introduce our guest for today, I want to remind you guys to go over to risingman.org. Check out the latest options and opportunities we have for you to become a bigger part of the community and step up your game as a man today. We got our June Summer Elements excursion coming up at the end of June, June 25th to the 27th. And we still have a couple of spots open for our Fall Compass crew. As I record this, they could be closed by now, but either way, apply today and get yourself involved in the next Compass four-day wilderness rites of passage. All right, let me introduce my guest for today. Amani Hill is a singing poet, beat man, meditator, educator, ritualist, shit-talking, irreverent reverend, liberation fractalist. And James Amutabi is an accountability partner, guide, and consultant with 20 years of experience facilitating coaching and counseling on issues of oppression, meditation and mindfulness, addiction, indigenous technology, decolonized consciousness, basic goodness, theater of the oppressed, and what it means to live in a playground for spiritual misfits quite a pair of these two. They are co-creators of Creative Liberation Now, Hood Hippie Universe, and designers of the program Decolonization for Dreamers. Also joining us in a return appearance is one of the founding fathers of The Rising Man, Phil Gomez. Phil has taken on leadership in the family, fatherhood, and relationships wing of The Rising Man ship, while continuing to guide, facilitate, and in general, lift up The Rising Man banner in any way that he's asked to. The ultimate utility man quite a crew we had here today, an awesome conversation that we had between the four of us. In this episode, the four of us dove deep into the topic of decolonization and how masculinity is involved and a part of this process. We started off with introductions, demonstrating a restoring of our ancestry. We talked about humans as walking, living earth, our birthright to be a part of this planet. Each of us took turns defining decolonization. What is it and why must we break down the colonial structures? We discussed the process of unlearning and dismantling. The willingness to let go of all your beliefs than to replace them with what you find to be true for yourself. Why that's such an important process for everyone to go through. We talked about going back to or moving forward, how a blend of the past and a new future is the solution for modern societal challenges. We talked about control as part of the colonial narrative around manhood and masculinity, how this has shaped men and our behavior for generations. And last but not least, why initiation is a way to open up new possibilities. Without further ado, James Amatabi, Amani Hill, and Phil Gomez. All right, Rising Man family, got a special one today. Special one. We got a full room. We got a full round table here today. We've got James Amutabi and Amani Will joining us for the first time here on the podcast and my bro Phil Gomez who's been on here a few times. Before we jump into it, I'm just going to let everybody identify themselves so you can match the name with the voice. I'll lead off. My name is Jetty Azuma. I hail from Santa Cruz, California, currently originally from Woodridge, New Jersey on the East Coast. My family, my dad's side of the family comes from Japan and my mother's side of the family comes from Italy and the Middle East. And I'm excited to be here at this roundtable with these brothers today. Amani, how about you check in next? You, you. Peace, y'all. My name is Amani William Carey Sims and practice as Amani Will today. I am here with y'all today on occupied Lisjen Chochengyo Ohlone territory. I'm in El Sobrani, just outside of Oakland. 
my birthlands and my peoples come from Turtle Islands Southeast, the Aniunwiwa, Cherokee, Okmogee, Muskogee peoples. They come from the islands in West, Southern West Europe and Ireland and Scotland and Britain and Germany. And they come from all over the motherland. Oh, beautiful. Glad to have you here, Amani. Good to be here. Amu, you want to go next, bro? Yes, yeah, is James Amutabi, also on Listen Ohlone Chichenyo land in El Sobrante, The Leftovers, which feels often appropriate in a time of gentrification in the Bay. Grew up in Oakland, was born in Baltimore. One of the people who come from enslaved Africans, so displaced, replaced Africans here on this land, and got another percentage that's like European and so like, I like to say I got at least one drop of white in me, <laughs> which I think gives me what I need to like be able to access white privilege. And if it doesn't, <laughs> it should give me what I need to access white privilege. <laughs> but yeah, come from all sorts of African folks and some European folks and some Asian folks. And so, yeah, it's really good to like bring all my people here to this conversation. Thank you, man. Thanks for bringing your whole crew with you. And honored to have you on the show. And uh, Phil, my man, round us out there. Yo, yo, what's good, y'all? Phil Gomez here, currently residing in Washoe Paiute Territory in the beautiful Lake Tahoe Basin, originally from New York. My mom's side of the family is part of the African diaspora, so of African ancestry, as well as Native American Cherokee. And then my father's side is from Colombia, South America. All that family resides down there still in those beautiful lands of Tehuantisuyo. Beautiful, guys. I love that. Let's just speak for a moment before we drop into the bigger topics we have to discuss. What is the value of introducing ourselves in that way? I'll just leave it at that. Who wants to jump in and speak about that first? For me, it's the reminder that we have like a thousand ancestors with their hands on our back, you know, at all times. Everywhere we step through the world, we have that. So when we get to honor where we come from in that lineage is just a reminder. It's like, hey, I'm not alone. And also, I'm not doing this for myself. Yeah. What about you, Amani? I was actually uh, really appreciating that practice in this moment as an intergenerational evolutionary revolutionary practice. One of the thresholds I see that we're at is part of a slow process of return. You know, late 80s, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed, which began to allow the indigenous people who had to become invisibilized because they were being hunted to begin to show themselves again. And, you know, some 40, 50 years later, the circles that I move with, we're all naming the indigenous lands we live on. Slowly, slowly, there are indigenous people across the country whose lands are being returned to them, or at least pieces of those lands. And so I see it as part of an evolutionary process of returning to the consciousness that these people who have been invisibilized are actually living amongst us so that we can begin to create the culture of recognition, awareness, which allows for them to become more part of the conversation of justice of right relationship of who's a part of our community and what needs and medicines do they have i really like what you brought in there about the invisibilization of peoples and the reclaiming the re-identifying of with who we are and where we come from i know that's why it's such a powerful practice for me to begin reclaiming where i come from my ancestry my lineage to be proud of that and also to let that 
represent how I identify myself too, that it is a part of who I am because coming from peoples who immigrated to where I live now and where I was raised and where my family's been raised for multiple generations, there's an absence of culture and a very, even just growing up, the little bit that I knew other than what kind of food we ate or the things that we did about where we came from was, oh, well, dad's side of the family comes from Japan. Mom's side of the family comes from Italy and maybe somewhere else. And that left a big void for me. And I think that's true for a lot of folks out there. So Amu, anything to add on that? You know, what you all said feels right on point. And I think if I was to add anything, it would be come from a lot of queer folks in the Bay, like mother lesbian, father gay. I grew up in a very like queer environment. Like I like to call it a queer festival. And there's something about like, whenever I call in my ancestors, you get all of them. There's something about the variety of bodies and minds and beliefs and ideals and possibilities that they carried that then show up, that feel like it calls me into a presence that really embraces our diversity, embraces our like multicultural style and all the ways we can show up as human beings, which I feel like if we're doing that, it allows for us to show up with each other in ways that are unexpected. And it calls in a type of humility that feels really kind of neglected in kind of Broadway mainstream mentality. And so there's some like, I feel like when we do this practice, it really like calls us into some deep, humble, curious, like beautiful possibilities. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And the reality is, is that each of us on the call here and many of those who will be listening have at least some part of our ancestral generational legacy rooted in a land different than where we grew up. This whole spirit of colonialism, whether by the folks who were conquering the peoples who were native and resided in these lands, or our peoples were part of enslaved folks who were brought over to facilitate that. It was all part of this colonialization process, this colonizing process. And the reality is that for most of us in that same category, the majority of our ancestry resides and is connected to other lands than the lands that we're living in. So what is the opportunity? What is the opportunity for some of that reclamation, that re-identifying based on where we live now and where we come from historically? Phil, anything that you want to say on that? I mean, it's really interesting. You know, land is just as much part of culture as food and dance and language and all these other elements that make up a people's and in history, it's like there's a lot, been a lot of shifting and moving around. It wasn't always voluntary, right? Some people were forced to be moved around. But I think even in the history and how we talk about land, we always talk about it or taught about it as a commodity. And, you know, I think we lose this essence that land is an ancestor as well, right? And that land has shaped each and every one of our peoples. And even if we are to uproot and move to another land, what we were taught or how we were shaped from this other corner of the world is carried with us to this new one. So, you know, I think that's a big one, really being able to look at land in that manner. I appreciate that. There's this question that someone asked me, is like, where am I local? And there's something about the energy of locating ourselves in all the places where we're from and like allowing ourselves to be local to that place. And local is both like 
the places my ancestors are from, where the like legacy of them live in me, and the places where this body has been. So when I like walk through those streets, I know those streets, I know the places to go to get what I need. And I get really curious about this, the energy of this body as land, as ancestor in that way, and the ways that we like carry the energy of this like somatic intelligence with us everywhere and are impacted by all the places where we're from and we carry them with us. How as humans, how as men, we can be with that in such a way that it like both empowers us, it empowers this land, it empowers our communities, and it empowers what we can create here. The more we feel connected, the more we can do. Oh, I love what you said there, man, because that feeds into a, a central belief I've been coming to over the past several years that the problem with most of us is that we're not connected to where we come from. That so many of those questions we answer or we ask ourselves in the coming of age process of who am I, where do I come from, and what is my purpose? Those core questions that every person has to ask themselves at some point. It's almost like you're starting from complete scratch if you have no connection to your ancestry or where you come from. And I'm a scientist by original trade. You know, I actually met Phil when we went to school and we trained as physical therapists and taking all the biology courses. Sometimes I like to go back to that reference point to match some of the abstract, intangible part of this conversation, where literally each of our ancestors were humans walking on this planet with 30 billion cells in their bodies. And of those cells, those cells were made of different components of elements on the periodic table. And 80% of them was made up of water and they were carrying water, living, breathing, walking water carriers everywhere they went. And whenever they perished or passed on, their bodies returned to the earth and returned back to that water. So the DNA that we carry that I like to think of as a guest book, you know, when you go to Airbnb, it's like, (laughs) it's like, like I'm putting my entry into the guest book with carrying the baton for my ancestors right now inside of those cells where my DNA resides, there's water that I'm carrying that's been carried for generations and generations. And something about that connection to this conversation, the, the things that you just said, Amu, about connection there's something about the logic and the science of that that allows me to bridge the gap. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but there's something about that that helped me originally and now allows me to access some of the other parts of that ancestral conversation. Yeah, and feel free to jump in if you got something you want to drop in about that too. I got something I want to share. came from Canyon Coyote Woman Sayers, one of the teachers we work with in our year-long training. And she's a Mutsun Ohlone woman, grew up on the lands of her peoples uh, just outside of what we call San Jose, California. And she just posted something the other day on Instagram. says, um, Indian land is not a claim to ownership of land. It's a claim of belonging to land. And we were having conversations about decolonization. And we're over here talking about what is decolonization. And there's a whole spectrum of ways of orienting to that. And one of the things that people talk about is this like land back movement is giving the land back to indigenous people. And from our colonized mind, it's hard to conceive of what that process looks like, what is actually writing the relationship, because we're still in that ownership based way of looking at things. And so just that ideology and using wherever, like, whatever pathways we need to get to a sense and working with all the pathways that are present to help us see like we are this land, (laughs) quite literally on any level you want to look at it, right? And we are carrying 
the land bodies of our ancestors as our body. So it's like, I am both, I've always drunk from the Makalumi headwaters in central California, three hours north of where I grew up, because that's where my headwaters are, you know, through colonial processes, that's the water that's being here. So I'm made up that my 80% is largely Makalumi headwaters right over there. And I'm also whatever rivers and lakes and bodies of water that my ancestors carried and were made by and passed to me. And so, yeah, it's this like amazing way to begin to kind of piece together location, like you were saying, Amu, and identity, like you were saying, Jetty, as we're like coming into these questions. There are so many pathways that we actually have, and we can start with these deep places of like, here I am. This is what made me. And here I come from. That's what's making me the thousand hands at our back, like you said, Phil. I love that, man. We got another brother who's a big part of the Rising Man community, Sean Barry, who he says that as humans, we're living, walking, breathing earth. And I love just that's what made me think about when you said what you just said there. And you brought in a word that is a good segue into the deeper part of the conversation I want to get into today about decolonization. So we just took some time to speak about ancestry, about where we come from and our reference point for connection so that we feel like we're not just, you know, cellular beings on this planet, that we have more depth than just our present experience. But in order to open up this conversation, because I know that word's being passed around a lot, I want each of us to take a moment to just define decolonization. What are we speaking about? What does that mean? What meaning does that word hold for each one of us? And Amu, maybe you want to kick us off with that. You know, doing this year-long training, decolonization for dreamers, the place where we begin is just with that question, what is decolonization? And more and more what I find is, I don't know. You know, there are many folks that have so many ways that they define it. And part of what I'm coming to for myself is I get to interact with all these different people on a regular basis who somehow, even though I'm not sure what it is, like I'm not sure how to define it, folks are representing it, are moving as it, are like, somehow moving in ways that break down this like colonial structure. And when I think of it, like what Amani was saying is like land back. In this moment, I get curious of like, how then reclaiming the land that is me, as we've been talking about this, like this body that is my body, the community that I come from and am a part of, this earth that I'm a part of, the re-indigenizing and reclaiming of all the land that like I am. And so I think in this very moment, it would be something like that. The, a process of reclaiming and restoring my land, my bodies. I love that, man. Am Amani, you want to build on that? I think the way that I experience the practice of naming what something as big as the idea of decolonization is, the way that I work with that these days is like, clarifying a lens through which to engage with a process of aligning. And so decolonization specifies a lens of recognizing the histories and systems of oppression, the inertias of power in this particular system, country, society, world that we live in, and to be in process of disrupting and dismantling those systems, expanding our worldviews and connections to include those voices who have been colonized upon as sources for 
the way forward for healing. So Phil, man, I want to hear from you as well. And anything else you would add to it? And in addition to, uh, why do you think it's important that we begin to break down the colonial structures? Yeah, Amu and Amani, you guys definitely dropped some really beautiful things there. And I have a lot of similar sentiments when it comes to decolonization. And, you know, for me, it's really the premise of it is the process of unlearning and not only the process of unlearning, but the process of dismantling, you know, because that's like the action portion of decolonization. And it can be as from as simple to the idea that uh, men are strong, right, to as complex of an idea as our um, First Nations and Indigenous people are subject to living on reservations, right? That's their corner of land. So there's so many different things, but I think in order to get into the conversation of decolonization, it takes coming from a place of being willing to believe that all the things that you have learned up to this point in your life are untrue, or at least have the potential of not being true, which is like, it's a really big step and difficult, you know? So yeah, for me, decolonization is conversation, it's questions, it's action, it's legislation, it's, you know, it crosses all boundaries. And, you know, I think it's so important because it's very clear that the way that the world is ran, especially the United States, is ineffective, right? It's not sustainable. People are, you know, there's people suffering, there's people without jobs, people without clean water, people that are, you know, don't have the, what I consider the basic human rights or basic human needs, So it's important to enter into that conversation because one, a change needs to occur because it's not sustainable. And two, decolonization isn't just the work of indigenous peoples, right? Or just black and brown peoples. It's like, it's the work of all of us because this has the narrative that we have been fed and have deemed to be true is affecting all of us negatively. I really appreciate that you pull all people into that conversation because I think of myself as somebody who kind of uh, straddles the line. I straddle the boundary a little bit because of my Caucasian roots that I can relate to the Caucasian narrative right now of what the hell am I supposed to do? You know, my people were the bad guys. So what is that part of my ancestry about. I want to forget that part of my ancestry and do something different. And then the other side that I relate to with coming from immigrant peoples, my grandfather and my great-grandmother were interned here in the United States during World War II. And so I feel like I get the benefit of looking at both sides of the equation. And I really appreciate you bringing everybody into that because I think a lot of folks, especially on the white privileged Caucasian side of this topic, often see themselves uh, paralyzed by like not knowing what to do and not seeing themselves as part of it or only seeing themselves as part of the problem, maybe not part of the solution. So I want to say one thing myself and then open it back up again about my thoughts on decolonization. You know, the prefix D, to decolonize, you know, to dethrone is to remove, to dismantle, like you were saying, Phil, and to get rid of these structures. But then there's got to be a recolonization or a re-something. I don't know if it's going back to colonization and colonial ways. That's not what I'm proposing, but we got to replace it. Let's say replace instead of recolonize. <laughs> replace it with something else, something new. So perhaps you guys want to speak a little bit to what, what do you believe serves? And the things that we're talking about dismantling, what do we want to replace that with? What is our reference point for even what serves our society moving forward? I'll start just in reflecting the appreciation of calling in all people and 
really calling in the fact that like if we're talking about colonization we're talking about a process that everybody who is not living traditionally in the ancestral ways of their people has undergone and has suffered within and under even if they were the ones empowered or superficially empowered by that system and so there's for me there is a collective calling to return to each other first of all like in naming that and in returning to each other part of that is like we were saying returning to the earth and returning to a cosmology and orientation a way of being that really honors and is turned towards and turned within each other and the earth you know when i think of the re and going from d to re i feel like earlier i talked about like reclaiming and restoring and that feels important and especially when it comes to how we are in our bodies like more and more often i feel like i'm returning to this like form of minds this place where i have sensation and memory and this place where i get to like be in contact with other bodies that like navigates this world and like really being in the process of like learning how to be here in form and a part of that for me is actually like taking the time to like allow this to be mine to in some way and mine in a like way that actually honors those that come with me honor my community honor the lands honor the like histories that are a part of me and then in that process also restoring taking the time to get intimate enough that I know who I am and who those that come with me are so that I can like create some like narrative some story or connect to some like people's that have story that let me walk here with dignity let me walk here in my power and like and find the processes of initiation that are like rightfully mine so that i can like actually come into the being that can be here in a way that will have the like most potential for like dynamic creative like beautiful impact and and love in, in in some ways yeah yeah man i want to bookmark initiation for a second i love that you brought that in cuz that's one of my five favorite words we'll get to that in a second just briefly for myself as we're talking more about this re like the prefix re like a return when i think about going back to something and I thought about this for many years. I remember thinking about this when I was, shoot, when I first met Phil, like half a lifetime ago, just thinking about, man, I just want to go back to spears and, you know, <laughs> spears and bow and arrow and, and the simplicity. I always think of going back to simplicity. So recapturing that element of simplicity that seems to have gotten completely obliterated by the complexity of modern society. But in this particular conversation, I'm also thinking about, well, does it serve us to go back? Does it serve us to only think about going back? You know, we're talking about a, anything with a re on it has like that element of a going back, a return, a, a cycling back around to something. And I think there are elements that we want to return to, but I'm also thinking that we're, we're facing some pretty unique challenges as a peoples on this planet right now that maybe returning isn't actually a solution. Maybe some of it, re-energizing some of it, but then creating new also. Phil, anything to add to that? So two things. One, the one of the biggest damaging effects that the colonial narrative has is history is told through war. 
right? You know, whenever we're learning about the history of places, it's like they were in war with them and then they won and then they occupied and really just told as far as winners and losers where, you know, sure, there has been a lot of war in history and there has been way more cooperation throughout history. There's been way more exchange of ideas, uh, practices, of food and seeds. You know, that has been way more prevalent throughout the huge timeline of human history and human existence on this planet. And, you know, the re for me is remember. So really being able to remember past the history that we've been very selectively taught and uh, being able to remember a bit, you know, whether it's uh, the language of our ancestors or remembering some of the practices, remembering just how to relate and be with other people. I think that's the essence of what we're steering back towards. And the bottom line is without the earth, there is no us, right? So if we can get to this bottom homeostasis, that earth first, right? Then I think we can bring in some of the newer technologies and things that we have created as humans over time that have made life easier, quote unquote, as so long as those are sustainable and they are helping to care for and prolong life here on earth. So that's where I think the marrying of traditional practices and new technology can find a, find a flow. I'm totally on board with that. Amu, Amani, anything you guys want to? I love the, like, if we ground first (laughs) in the, like, fundamentals that we need this earth and that we're on it together, then we could kind of do anything from there and we can be with what, where we are, because that's actually where we are. (laughs) So that as a starting place is amazing. I'll just honor some of the things that I see happening as part of a decolonial process, Oakland has committed to defunding the police by 50% in the next two years. It sounds like it's not going to be that simple. You know, of course, there is people who are trying to block that now, but they made that commitment last year. And that means lowering the amount of police that show up for traffic stops where there's not a dangerous crime that's being committed where you don't need somebody with a gun to show up where you can just deliver a citation. Responding to mental health crises with people who are actually serving their life's purpose and being able to be highly skilled and meeting people in times of emotional and mental crises and challenge. Meeting the needs (laughs) with the services, with the peoples, with the practices that are actually designed to meet those specific needs instead of trying to hammer everything that's not a nail. Returning Indigenous people's land back and those Indigenous people, especially who are in practice with the land, who are with carrying their ceremonies, who are in touch with the strategies and practices that have allowed them to live sustainably for eons in the land that they are living in. You know, there's a long list having conversations like this men getting initiated and really turning to look intentionally towards manhood and dismantling the patriarchy, reclaiming, remembering what strength actually is rather than what has been projected onto us so we can enact a militarized way of being instead so that our strength can be for our communities, for our well-being, for holistic experiences of humanness and beingness. Yeah, the list is long. We out here, we doing it. Yeah, it is. It's a long list with a lot to do. And one of the things I really appreciate you brought in is just 
taking a closer look at how colonial practices influence us on a day-to-day basis. You mentioned the thing about defunding the police, which I know is a, a much bigger topic than we can cover right now. But I've been a pretty upstanding citizen my whole life. I've gotten some speeding tickets. I've definitely done some wrong things. You know, I've spent a night in a holding cell. Like I've done some silly things. But if I just walk past a policeman or drive past a cop, I could be completely abiding the law and I freeze up. I contract. And even before I ever got into any sort of substantial trouble with the law, I it would always happen to me. And I know that I'm not the only person that feels that way. And I'm sure there's people who feel it on a much deeper level than I do. So just that as one micro example of how colonial practices have influenced our way of being and starting to look at that, say, whoa, that doesn't feel good. You know, people that we are paying to protect and serve are generating this response inside my body. Now, what part of that is mine that I get to deal with? And what part of that is just what culture's given us because of the construct? So given the interest of time, I want to shift the dialogue just a little bit because I still want to get into some talks about initiation, but this is the Rising Man podcast. I would be remiss if we didn't open up some conversation about the colonial process and decolonization for manhood and for masculinity. I love that we talked about culture and race so much, but let's just start with the impact that colonialism has had on modern masculinity and manhood. And I'll open it up to whoever feels called to start picking that beast apart. (laughs) This is James Umbutubi. And what I will say right now is like how small colonization has made manhood how isolating of an idea it actually became and how it's been used to attack, to trigger, and it's been used for war and been used against like our own communities within us. Something that has been created, put into us, taught to us, that then we get to reenact over and over again with each other to like recreate these cycles of harm so that like we end up with these structures like a policing structure that in many ways is a like masculine structure that we all end up having to navigate the like triggers and trauma of the impact of being surrounded by a military all the time. For me, I begin to ask the question, like, how do we actually make masculinity, make manhood, make that part of our existence? How do we let it blossom? How do we get into it in such a way that we get to see all of the detail of it, the beauty of it, the like expansiveness of it, the ways that, and I feel like this kind of brings us back to the beginning of the conversation when we call in our ancestors. How do we span our ancestry, our legacies to get a taste of the like multi-layered, multifaceted beauty of masculinity? of manhood, of that exploration in ourselves. I really love that, Amu, about how small it's made what manhood is. You know, just like, first question that comes to my head is like, name like the top five, like quote unquote men from movies, you know, that stand out. And it's like John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, you know, just like kind of the lone wolf badass, you know, it's kind of become the picture of what it is to be a man in uh, the colonial narrative. Two words that come up for me is like how it's been detrimental is uh, the colonial narrative has made manhood equate to ownership and control. So like the more that you own, the more of a man that you are, right? And that's like physical material things. That's your partner, right? Your woman, that's land, 
right? It's just the ownership and really this straying away from the idea that we don't own anything except the only thing that we own is arguably our bodies, right? And our word, like your word is the only thing that you own. So this idea that a man or you're more of a man by more that you own and control is uh, from a young age, we're just trying to figure out how we can own and control more shit. That's like what we're, that's what we're just trying to learn. How can I own more? That leads to a lot of violence and creating trauma and damaging yourself and other people and end up losing sight of the things that actually could be way more important. Ah, so powerful, man. I just want to really spotlight that element of control. As I was hearing you say that, I was just hearing voices that I've heard from all different places in my life about, man, you can't even control your woman. You got your life is out of control. Your finances are out of control. You don't have a plan. I've heard those messages from family members. I've heard those messages from movies, from mass media, TV, all of it. And man, that's just such a big one. That's that story of if you don't have things under control, then you are not a man. And the permission that that removes from us to be able to admit that I don't know what I'm doing. I'm confused. I'm lost. I'm afraid. None of those things are allowed when we need to present ourselves as people in control. So that's huge, man. Thanks for dropping that in. I mean, I'm just noticing the things that you just listed that like we're not allowed to have present in order to appear in control are all places that would allow us to get help and allow us to grow, have growth. And so I just feel really present to the isolation present in the creation of manhood as it has been. And in the idea of and the construction of a society based on that kind of manhood as the top of the pyramid and a society that's based on a pyramid where this is kind of what where power is, where control is and everything else underneath it rather than a web of life. It's like the design is to be the most powerful, the one controlling the most as the ultimate goal of ascension within that society. And that being put on the shoulders of man as holding or masculine as holding. And just the deep setup for separation. And within that setup for separation, the design for the blocking of collective healing and growth because we have to let go of that control and share it in order to have that transformation and to have that connection and to be in well-being with ourselves and with each other. Agreed there, man. Amu, I want to swing it back over to you with the time we've got left. You brought in that word initiation and it's something we talk about a lot here on Rising Man because it's a core piece of our mission. But I want to hear from you, man. Where do you think that a re-establishment of initiation into cultural practice for men fits into this conversation of decolonizing and recreating the ways that we are. Part of what's coming up in all of this is there's so much that we are navigating. There's so much in these waters, the water of decolonization, the waters of manhood, the waters of ancestry, the waters of just being a human being in a body. And so part of the like beauty of initiation is something that Phil talked about, which is there's some like aspects of unlearning and release that are called for in a process of initiation. And when you really get to get quiet, there's a way in which it makes some really beautiful space for what's possible. 
once we actually invite in these spaces where we get to be in that energy of I don't know, in the energy of curiosity, in these places that are powerful, like one of my teachers loves to say is like, I don't know is a place of power. It's that place where you get to enter the room, look around and not have the answer, not already be like, well, this is the direction. This is where I'm going. This is what I know. So since I know already, I don't need to be getting curious and looking around for what's possible. When you go in with the, I don't know, which is often taken away from men, like you have to know, you have to be like ready and in control. When you go in to processes that let you open into not knowing, open into the kind of the grand possible cosmology of humanity, like you all of a sudden, what we can create expands immensely. Who we are expands immensely. And for me, that's the importance of initiation right now. If we are going to co-creating something, if we are going to stop suffering a crisis of imagination as human beings, we need to like cultivate spaces where we can be broken down, where we can like not know, where we can unlearn. And the more spaces like that that are available to us, the more that becomes possible for us. Just jumping in right there, I'll be like, we need those spaces. That's why it's important because then we can make what's possible. I agree, man. And I love what you said there. And I'm always amazed at how quickly an hour goes by. And when you got four beautiful minds sharing some great conversation here, it goes by even faster. So I feel like we did a great job giving some distinctions for people to operate from. For those of you guys who are listening, I think the important thing to acknowledge is that we're all still in swirling in this question and looking for more answers and and in that process, revealing more and more questions along the way. And so I just want to really encourage people to be a part of the conversation. You don't have to enter this conversation with a sense of knowing. You don't have to arrive to the conversation with all the solutions and answers, but a willingness to be a part of it, participate in that is really the biggest thing. And I'm glad that we just opened, I feel like we opened up a lot more territory and space for anybody to be a part of this conversation. And so so just as we start to wrap up here, uh, I just want to do a quick swing around the table, like any final last words that you guys want to put and punctuate on this conversation. And then Amu and Amani, if one or both of you want to speak to the incredible work you guys are doing, I'd love for you to plug that in and let people know what you're up to. Well, there were a lot of beautiful things that came up in this conversation. And I think the thing that's standing out for me the most is getting away from the point of a conversation being coming up with an answer. Although I definitely feel I'm closer to a quote unquote answer at the end of this conversation, when we let go of the idea that we have to come to a concrete decision right now, we get to be in that flow. You know, we get to be in the conversation and get to have the realizations. And from those realizations, we can start to develop action. So just continuing to really just encouraging everyone out there to just be in the question and be in the conversation. I'll jump in with both of you and just say, like, being in it and showing up for it. Like, you got to show up for it to be in it. And I love that that's what you brothers brought. Show up for the conversation and then show up with your full self. Like, we don't need to hide in it. That's what we actually we need us to be vulnerable in. Yeah, there's something beautiful about, like, showing up with our full selves. And in order to show up, we must also show up receptive and available to the unknown. And that as something that helps us dismantle our unhealthy training around manhood 
claim more receptivity, different kinds of strength and reconnection with self, earth and other that as a way of life and a way of being available for kind of co-collaborative inspiration with this whole process together. And that's part of what that decolonization for dreamers is about too, that we're doing with Hood Hip Universe is like just showing up for the conversation. It's a year long training. And what we're training really is like, how do we show up? And what do we bring into the room with us? And then once we do that, we get to get intimate with each other about like, now what does training look like for me? What actually am I bringing? What am I already doing well? And then what else can I be doing to like build my, like my decolonized muscles? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I love that. So decolonization for dreamers via the hood hippie universe. Uh, will you guys just drop uh, real quickly the the links where people can find you, folks can find you, connect with you, learn more about what you guys are doing? Yeah, you come join us now. Registration is open and will stay open until we are full. Hoodhippieuniverse.com has everything you need. We have some free offerings for folks who want to access at that level. And we have trimester registration and year-long registration. So we want to work with your access points. Come kick it with us if you feel in resonance. Hoodhippieuniverse.com. I love that, man. That's beautiful. So make sure you guys go and check out these fellas. They're doing some incredible work. Now, listen, if you guys don't know my bro, Phil Gomez by now, I don't know where the hell you've been, but in case you don't, Phil, just <laughs> tell them about what you're up to and where people can find you and connect with you too, man. Yeah, man. So one of the founding fathers at Rising Man Movement, doing some beautiful work with Jetty in our program's Compass, four-day initiation, Nature Fast, as well as uh, online program Inferno. And then what we've been doing more recently is really focusing on fathers and that aspect of what it is to be a man and just navigating the difficult waters that fatherhood is. So you can find us at Dads on Purpose program, which is super dope. And then be on the lookout for our father to father that's coming out. That's going to be absolutely incredible. That really grateful I get to work on with you, Jenny. So yeah, if you want to find me, Phil J. Gomez on Instagram, Shoot me a message. Let's chat. I love chatting. Beautiful. Well, I'm honored to have sat at the round table with you fellas again here today. We'll have to do this for a chapter two sometime in the future. But thank you for bringing your brilliance and your wisdom and for modeling what it looks like to be in these conversations. I have a lot of deep respect and admiration for each of you men. It's clear that you're doing your work and walking your path with what each one of you brings to the table. So Lots of love, much respect, and look forward to seeing you guys on the next one. Yes. Thank you. Blessings, brother. Thank you so much. All right, y'all. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Make sure to go check these guys out on their socials, on their links. You can get all of those links and resources at risingman.org where we post this information each and every week in the show notes. While you're at risingman.org, make sure you check out all the opportunities we got coming up this summer to see how you can get more involved in our community. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already and go check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. Shout out to Mark Rose, who's just been putting up some stellar content on the YouTube channel. We just got done shooting some new material for you guys coming out to roll out through the summertime so stay tuned there you're not going to want to miss that follow us on instagram at rising man movement and everywhere else you see the rising man phoenix flying big ups to my rising man power team the rising man leadership team and the whole rising man community out there i really have you guys in my heart with so much gratitude for helping make this movement move until next time rise up and claim your destiny